But if they're a brand new, they're kind of like just now going to market, right? They found product market fit and we've confirmed that search is a viable and scalable channel for customer acquisition. That's when we'll still run our topic clustering algorithm, but it doesn't quite paint as clear of a picture on where we need to start. And so when that's the case, we tend to pick three areas that we think are going to be viable. And that's just kind of based off of what does the competition look like? How well positioned are they against the competition for those areas, like from a product feature differentiation standpoint or benefits, et cetera. And we kind of tackle all three at once and we start to see not only A, which one is kind of landing with Google and able to drive in a consistent stream of traffic, but also how much of that traffic is actually converting to either free trial signups and then eventually on to paid users. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Skylar Reeves. Skylar is founder and CEO of Ardent Growth, a content marketing agency for B2B tech brands. So a great person to talk to about how to get more bang from your buck from your content marketing. Hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Skylar. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Absolute pleasure. So we're here to talk about content creation. But before we dig into that, I'd love to know a bit more about your experience in content marketing. Yeah, so I came into this world from a background in engineering and computer science. Spent a lot of time working on computer science, algorithm problems, things like that. Had a background in philosophy too from college and was working for a company that needed a website. They needed content to attract drivers and clients. They were kind of like a marketplace and learned about content marketing from there and found it to be this really interesting intersection between blending data and the elements I'd learned from the programming background along with writing and creativity and things like that. So You're one of these unusual people that has the creative and the data side. I think we all have our ways that we lean one way or yeah. another, right? But I think that most people kind of box themselves in to thinking that they can't be one or the other. I used to think that I was horrible at math until I was about 23, and I think I read Carol Dweck's book and yeah. said, okay, I'm not horrible, I'm just lazy. So, <laughs> Good stuff. I'd be interested to hear your take on this. You're obviously talking to lots of companies about content marketing. Why do you think it's so important for companies right now? It's been important for a long time. I think it's extremely important right now because of the way that buying behavior is continuing to evolve over time. You know, and that's why I kind of started the whole inbound model back in 2005, 2010, something like that. You know, the buying landscape was shifting then. People wanted to research and find information online. And they're still doing that. It is beginning to shift, though. And that's why it's important to think about content beyond just channels like search, right? And think about content when it comes to cross social as well, true, meaningful, engaging content. So the primary reason is People want to search and find things out about a company or service or a product or whatever as much as they possibly can before they actually engage with any sort of checkout card or sales rep or anything like that. So the way to actually give them that information and let buyers buy the way they want to buy is through content. And I guess it's going to get difficult, isn't it? The more privacy comes into it and you see the sort of updates that Apple's done in terms of things like tracking and pixels and cookies and all this kind of stuff. It's certainly going to get harder for digital marketers to get your attention as well. Maybe. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it to some extent. I know a lot of people have some disdain about it, but I think that over the years we've become so dependent upon 
things like tracking and attribution and things like that. And instead of just really spending more time talking to our customers, listening to them, understanding where they are, where they hang out, what kind of information they like to consume. And if you remove all the tracking and attribution and everything from that, as long as you listen to your customers and produce content that they want and put it where they hang out and like to consume content, it's not going to matter. Nike didn't become Nike from having email tracking, yeah. you know, and having to worry about privacy policies, right? So maybe it'll kind of recenter us back to focusing on brand and customer experience. Yeah. And from your experience, then, why do you think most sort of B2B companies don't get content marketing right then? So I think a lot of them create content for the wrong reasons and often track the wrong metrics. So the wrong reasons would be, let's say it's a primarily B2B SaaS and some kind of service-based businesses that you know, they want leads instead of thinking about the quality of those leads and thinking about, you know, how many of them are going to turn into close one in the pipeline. And so whenever you produce content for the wrong metrics, you end up kind of engaging in the wrong behaviors that don't necessarily tie themselves to business metrics and the outcome. Mm. I think the other reason is they kind of look at it just as like a check in the box a lot of times, especially whenever they're handling content across different platforms. Maybe they're doing really well on one channel and they decide they want to expand on other channels instead of focusing on how does the content need to be created, what content needs to be created, and how does it need to be delivered on that channel. They just sort of remix it and produce it across the other channel, which doesn't always resonate with people and then they wonder why it doesn't work. So. Fundamentally, it comes down to they're not listening or talking to their customers, really, and maybe aligning themselves with what they want instead of what their customers want. And my belief is that if you align yourself with what your customers want, ultimately, it works out best for your business anyway. So, no, Indeed, indeed. And sort of shifting the conversation now into actually how do you go about creating content? But before you sort of dive into that content creation piece, then, how important is it to understand the business model that you operate in before you can do that? Yeah, 100%. If you don't understand the business model, you're going to end up creating the wrong type of content or what we often see is creating it on the wrong channel for distribution. For instance, we focus on like search-driven content from search engines like Google. And if your business model is not something that people search a lot for or don't necessarily make their buying decisions through that channel, then any content you produce on that channel is just not going to be as impactful. doesn't mean it can't work. It's just that there are probably better options. So yeah, you definitely need to understand the business model and how different channels and different content formats and delivery are dictated by that. Yeah. And we talk to lots of different businesses from sort of startups right the way to sort of established B2B tech brands. But you know, if you're touching on just what you talked about there, then companies that perhaps don't have a lot of search for the terms around the sort of product or the solution that they're producing, how does that sort of dictate what they should be doing from a content perspective at a sort of high level then? Yeah, so we often see this in one of two scenarios. Either A, they're trying to create a new category, but they're just doing that because they want to be a new category versus it actually being warranted. And I mean, if that's the case, then you want to try to think about, okay, what's like the closest correlation or how do your customers actually perceive you and understand you and think about you? And then kind of take that route, at least until you reach critical mass with whatever category you're trying to create. And, you know, you kind of build a zeitgeist around it. But the other common scenario, though, is let's say you're a very like sales heavy driven company. The kind of the content that you want to make is going to be ultimately, where do your buyers hang out? Do they use social? Do they prefer to read emails? Do they actually read their emails? How many emails do they get, right? How many are going to be buried underneath? And think about it that way. So what we've seen just as kind of like a high level overview is that the more sales heavy you tend to be, the better off you're going on and producing organic content on channels like LinkedIn or podcasts or speaking events, right? 
and getting involved in communities, like focus on the community aspect, because a lot of those buyers tend to, sales heavy products tend to be more expensive, right? And so when people are making those buying decisions, they're usually talking to their peers, mm. right? And where are their peers at in the same communities and on the same social channels that they are. So that's where I would go participate there. As you move towards more product-led, that's when you can think about, okay, things like SEO and other channels like that. Email kind of sits in the middle, but... Makes sense. And, you know, once you've kind of figured that whole piece out, then in terms of obviously, you know, you're kind of go to market, you know, what stage your business is at that, you know, we're not short of content ideas in a way. Sometimes you can sort of get paralyzed by analyzing too much what you should be doing rather than actually getting stuff out the door. But let's say, for instance, when you were working with a new client, then how do you go about sort of deciding on what content to produce first and kind of why? So again, depends on the business model, right? But since we primarily work with companies that stand to benefit from search-driven content, what we usually look at is one of two things. A, how much content do they already have, if any? And B, like, where are the opportunities in their TAM, like from their actual product and service offerings? Like, where are the opportunities there that we are really kind of best situated to capitalize on that we have the greatest like differentiation that we can position mm-hmm. ourselves well in the market etc so if they have a lot of content already even if they're still fairly new i mean some companies get pretty prolific right out the gate if they have a lot of content already then we built a topic clustering algorithm where we'll kind of canvas in everything from a search perspective on how people search we'll interview customers take the qualitative data from customer research with the keyword research data that we have and find the overlaps between it And then our clustering algorithm will show us how we need to structure that content together. It used to be a lot more of a manual process, but we've built some pretty old tech into it now. It kind of paints a roadmap for us that says, this is exactly what you need to create next if your goal is reducing time to rank, increasing traffic, and then being able to convert that traffic on the back end. But if they're a brand new, they're kind of like just now going to market, right? They found product market fit, and we've confirmed that search is a viable and scalable channel for customer acquisition. That's when we'll still run our topic clustering algorithm, but it doesn't quite paint as clear of a picture on where we need to start. And so when that's the case, we tend to pick three areas that we think are going to be viable. And that's just kind of based off of what does the competition look like? How well positioned are they against the competition for those areas, like from a product feature differentiation standpoint or benefits, et cetera. And we kind of tackle all three at once and we start to see not only A, which one is kind of landing with Google and able to drive in a consistent stream of traffic, but also how much of that traffic is actually converting to either free trial signups and then eventually on to paid users. So you have to kind of balance the two between them. And that's the same whether they have a lot of content or not. It's just taking a little bit of a gamble versus kind of having a very clear roadmap. Yeah, I guess you've got to test things, haven't you, and experiment with things at the same time as being quite formulaic. And when you're kind of producing content, everybody talks about sort of repurposing that content. But I mean, how would you go about whatever that piece of content might be? How would you go about sort of optimizing it and maximizing the value you typically get from that one piece? So I think one of the best things to do is really from the podcasting route, because again, it depends on where your buyer kind of mess up as they'll take their content, go post it on social, like a link to it or something. And We all kind of know that the algorithms will suppress that. They want you to stay on the platform. So instead of reposting a link to your content on social, distill it down to its essence, to a takeaway, repurpose it into multiple key points. Let's say you have a long form article where you've talked about, you know, four or five really important things. Break that down into individual sections and use it to post on, I think LinkedIn's perfect, especially for B2B. Post it on LinkedIn and see what people engage with over there over time. And then think about that in the future. Ultimately, you don't want to just take what you have and just always rehash it across these channels. You want to test if it's organic and then see what are people engaging with. 
I wouldn't worry so much about the views. Views don't matter. They're vanity. You want to look at things like what are people actually commenting on? What are people sharing, right? Like these are heavier lift items versus just a view in the feed or a like button or something like that. But yeah, see what people are engaging with. And then also think about, can this be repurposed for some sort of demand in motion? Do you need to educate buyers? If so, put a bit of paid behind it. If you think about content and the goal of content, it's consumption so that we can educate. And that way, when that person's in market and ready to buy, we are part of that consideration set, right? So I think what a lot of people forget about too is that not all advertising has to be direct response, get leads, get conversions, right? Take your content. If you've got a message that if you could convey to buyers, if you could get them to understand it, that they would be more likely to choose you over someone else. And that just takes a bit of education. That's what your content does for the most part. So use that, put a bit of paid behind it, guarantee your distribution to your market, let them consume that content and bring people in that way. And it's a lot cheaper too than direct response. Of course, it doesn't bode all that well for attribution, but it's still valuable. But a more natural way of doing it. If people are engaged by the content they're seeing, they're naturally going to be engaged anywhere, interested in what you're trying to talk to them about. So that kind of makes sense. You hear about sort of frameworks, and this is probably more related, I guess, to sort of content on your website, but frameworks like top of the funnel stuff and all that kind of stuff. And Hub and Spoke as an example in terms of how you should structure content on your website. Are those sort of frameworks still relevant today then, do you think? I do think that the way that most people look at it is a bit, one, they tend to take more of a guesswork approach to it, saying, you know, this is our hub and these are our spokes. We got tired of the guesswork and we wrote an algorithm to do it for us, but Hub and Spoke is still definitely relevant, but you need to understand that I think a lot of people get too granular on their hubs. So if you think about HubSpot, for example, HubSpot only has like four hubs, marketing, sales, service, and they're like CMS website builder, right? And I see a lot of other people when they're building out these Hub and Spoke strategies is they will think about it in terms of almost like the feature instead of the overarching product. And so what you end up with is a lot of hubs within hubs, but ultimately it all kind of ties back up to that broad category, right? So Hub & Soak is still definitely relevant. As far as top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel, it depends on the way that your business model works, right? If you're very sales heavy, I'd focus more on bottle funnel. It depends on like, what does it cost to acquire a customer? What's your ACV, right? What's your CAC payback time, et cetera? Like these are different levers that dictate maybe how you want to acquire traffic. We've mentioned this before. Like, so if you think about Grammarly, right? When Grammarly first started, I mean, top of funnel is great, right? It's constant user acquisition, but then eventually they need to convert those people into paid users, right? And so now it's like at that point, they need to start thinking about more middle funnel content and bottom funnel content for organizations to convince people why they might want to upgrade their organization for their team to have a paid business account of Grammarly or something like that. Mm. I think a lot of people maybe focus too much on top of funnel sometimes and maybe forget that just a handful of tofu pieces can drive an outsized amount of traffic. But if that traffic doesn't convert, it's a waste, right? But you're often better off probably starting from bottom and working your way up from there. Good stuff. Good stuff. And what about metrics? I mean, we talked a little bit about attribution, didn't we? And sometimes it's hard to attribute everything, isn't it? But from a content marketing perspective, what kind of metrics do you typically track for your B2B clients? The primary thing we like to look at is revenue. The attributions of things, right, isn't always easy. The closest that you can get a lot of times, depending on how sophisticated your setup is, is if you want to take just a basic level where we see a lot of people at, it's, you know, using something like the model comparison tool and looking at a 90 day look back window on first touch. But I think that's actually maybe even, even if you do 30 days is sometimes better. It depends on how long your buying cycle is. But as far as other attribution models go and things like that, that maybe track every single hit. I mean, a lot of times we just ask customers like put on our forms, like a free form text field helps you hear about us. Right. And 
even though oftentimes what they answer is not how they actually heard about us, what they're telling us is the thing that stood out to them the most. What was the most impactful thing that they actually remember? And that's what we care about is what did they actually remember? Because if they don't remember everything else, then I guess it didn't leave much of an impression, right? So we'll kind of gather that qualitative data there. And once we started doing that, opened up a lot of insights. We were working with a customer that helps CEOs and other like successful people write their books. And when we began asking this question, we found a lot of the attribution data was just off the mark. It was leaning more towards, I heard about you on this podcast. I heard about you from my friend when we were having wine. You know, you get a lot of insight there that you don't get from attribution. I would tie them both together. But ultimately, if you bring those both together and tie it all the way through the pipeline, you want to track it to actual revenue. So if you get a lead, once you pass it over to sales or if you're more product led, like once they sign up for a free trial, like continue to track that through the full cycle until they actually become a paid customer and even beyond that too, which is where I think a lot of marketers kind of maybe stop at like the MQL area. But yeah, we focus on revenue and been playing around with pipeline velocity too a little bit from Chris Walker over Refined Labs, pretty useful formula as well. Yeah, well, I think most sort of forms from attribution sort of have the usual sort of tick boxes, don't they? Where did you hear from us? Mm. You know, one might be LinkedIn. And that doesn't necessarily mean what was it within LinkedIn mm -hmm. that captured your attention and made you convert, where I think some of the more sort of not necessarily sophisticated marketers, but it's kind of touching on what you just said there. It's okay, you heard us on LinkedIn, but I'm interested to understand what was it that you saw on LinkedIn that attracted you to us? It just gives you a little bit more qualitative stuff rather than just the quantitative tick in the LinkedIn box. What about sort of tools then? We're drowned in tools these days, I guess, aren't we? But what sort of content marketing tools could you not live with? What sort of content marketing tools do you use? So Ahrefs is a big one for us, just for keyword research purposes and search console. Obviously, we take a lot of that data and built our own in-house tool. We couldn't live without that now. It's too useful for us and it saved us a lot of time and getting us a lot of good results. So that's one we definitely couldn't live without. Beyond that, I mean, I would say it's really just standard like communication tools. And anything that we can actually use to record, we found Gong to be extremely helpful for whenever writers are writing content, especially when the writer is not a subject matter expert, to go and actually interview a subject matter expert and collect those insights and be able to kind of reflect back on it. But you can use a lot of other tools. You don't have to use Gong. It's just we haven't used Gong for sales and we're like, okay, we can turn around and use this for customer research and for subject matter expertise for interviews with them, right? So beyond that, it's your standard set, right? Like Google Docs. ClearScope is a big one. We really love ClearScope. But yeah. What about some of the AI tools? Have you sort of looked at any of those sort of phrase, Surfer SEO, Jasper, anything like that? Obviously, technology is playing a bigger part these days, isn't it, in sort of all of our jobs, really? Phrase is good. I think like most AI tools, Jasper is great too, right? Formerly Jarvis after their little spat with Disney there. <laughs> like those tools are great if they're in the right hands. What I fear is that too many people will kind of think that you can just let it do it for you. I mean, for one, like you have to fact check those things, but two, like depends on why you're making that content. I mean, the thing about all the content you've read that is immediately apparent that it was either written by somebody who's not at your level. So, you know, it was written by someone mm -hmm. who's perhaps more junior, more novice than you in the subject matter. And how well does that actually convert, right? Mm -hmm. Do you read that and say, wow, I'm convinced this product is amazing, right? Like I can't see how this product could not solve my problem and why I shouldn't buy it right now or sign up for a free trial. And that's where the AI tools, I think, kind of fall flat if they don't have someone who really understands the product and understands the customers guiding them. But they can be great for repurposing sometimes content, right? Being able to take something mm -hmm. that's maybe more complex if you've written long form and distilling it down into something that's a bit more digestible for social or something like that. Mm. 
And shifting again, sort of content marketing is such a hot topic right now. We're hiring for lots of companies to expand their content marketing teams. But what do you think makes a good content marketer? Let's say, for instance, you work for a tech company or even you're hiring within your agency. What are some of the skills and attributes you think make somebody really good at content marketing? Not to beat a dead horse here, right? But the fundamental one is understanding the customer and the product and how it works for them. But I think that there's a lot of writers who think that they're content marketers, but they're not really. A content marketer is more than just a writer, right? It's someone who I think is a bit more multidisciplinary, right? They don't need to be experts in other areas, but you need to be capable of understanding even the basics of, say, design and how to do customer research and maybe even depending on the type of company you work for, sometimes a bit of coding is useful too, especially if you're the one that has to actually, if you're more of a content marketing team of one, if your team is real small or kind of resource strapped, like being able to tweak things a little bit on the back end of a CMS, right, from a design perspective is useful. But I think there are four fundamental like characteristics that you kind of need. They don't need to be four different people, but they need to be like skill sets that I think your team needs to have from a content marketing standpoint. And that's, you need to have an SME of some sort, whether they're part of the content team or whether they're available to the content team, you need to have someone who understands the product, who understands the market, who understands the competition, and who understands your customers, right? So you need that. Then you need someone who understands how to, you know, get your content out there, where all it needs to go. That kind of forms the plan, right? Like an orchestrator. You can think of that like a whoever's a content marketing manager or a director of content, et cetera. And then you need someone who's actually capable of creating the content, right? Both writing it and on the design side of things. And then it's useful to have a skill set on actually how to distribute it, which means packaging it up for those different channels in a way to be consumed by your audience. So again, those don't have to be four different people. But you know, if you can find two people, right, that have kind of a balance of each skill set, or maybe have the three, and then you've got a subject matter expert available, then I think that you can execute very, very well. Something that, you know, that what you're doing here, I think a podcast is one of the greatest core central elements of a content marketing like engine, because it feeds into every single other channel that you may want to work on, especially depending on who you're interviewing or how you have a community kind of built around it. It may not always be the easiest to track back to revenue, but if you think about how easy it makes taking a good conversation and taking video, repurposing it on social, right? Running ads mm -hmm. from it, getting core insights you can use to kind of feed in your own messaging or your own additional content on the blog or on YouTube, et cetera. It serves as a very just like almost like a flywheel to your content engine without having to come up with mm -hmm. what are you going to write every day on LinkedIn? What are you going to talk about? What are you going to write on the blog, right? So the podcast can really kind of be a core element I think more people need to do. I love it. And what about content marketing in terms of learning? So obviously you're in this space. How do you sort of keep on top of content marketing itself? It's such a fast sort of move in market, really. It is and it isn't. I think depending on what channel that you're operating on, I mean, the things that sort of ebb and flow tend to be more kind of publication news, even I think you need to think about it more long term. Your buyers don't shift and change all that much, but as long as you kind of have a pulse on that, you're good. But beyond that though, I mean, now if you're talking about, okay, like tactics when it comes to what works best on LinkedIn outside of just kind of serving your core audience and thinking about the algorithms of LinkedIn or the algorithms of Instagram or the algorithm of search, that's just through testing, not being afraid to just put content out there and see what works. And again, also kind of make sure you're paying attention to the right metrics and not going astray on social, you know, Things like views are vanity, right? On search, things like traffic is vanity. Focus more on what's actually resonating with people, with the type of people that you want it to resonate with. And I think it'll be pretty good. So just test and evaluate and focus on the right metrics. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. And if people want to follow up with you, Skylar, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? The best is probably on LinkedIn. You can shoot me a message on there as long as you're not trying to sell me immediately. If you are, I'll probably block you and (laughs) never let you talk to me again. So I don't have a problem people trying to sell me after they've gotten to know me a little bit. But yeah, LinkedIn's the best place outside of that. Twitter works too. I'm not on there nearly as much though. So good stuff. Well, I've really enjoyed this chat, Skylar. It's great talking to you because in a way you can simplify it, which is what content marketing should be about, isn't it? You're delivering what the customer wants to hear about in the channels that they operate in. And you know, when you think of it like that as your base for content marketing, it becomes so much easier. So it's fantastic to hear you talk through it. Thanks for giving me the chance to Matt. No worries. Pleasure. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.